great story from uh, Owen. There's Owen over there. Owen, why give us a wave so people can see you. Owen's got a great testimony going to hear in a couple of few Sundays' time. And, uh, oh, it's just amazing testimony of the grace of God and the power of God. For most of us, the testimony is very simple. And, uh, and we don't have dramatic things. And God works with the big and he works with the small. And uh, we don't mind how he works. And whatever he's done for you, declare it. Let others get the benefit. Amen? Okay, we're going to open the word in Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, for those who are watching by television, who will be looking at this through our DVD, uh, we want to welcome you. This is the last now series in Hebrews 6, First Principles, and we're going to look today at eternal judgment. So we trust you'll just open your heart to just hear the word of God, and may the Spirit of God move where you are and touch you and change your life today. So church, let's open up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through to 3. And uh, therefore, leaving the discussion uh, of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so we see a number of truths which are foundational to being established in Christ. Every one of these truths is a foundation. So it's not all that we learn. It is the part which has to be laid upon which everything else builds. And we saw at the beginning the need for us to turn away from activities and works to try and gain the approval of God, religious activities, to repent of those things which are dead and lifeless, motivated by wrong motives, and to turn towards and have faith in the living God, faith in what Christ has done for us. And as we do that, we are immediately born again. The Spirit brings us into the realm of the kingdom of God. And then we saw next was the doctrine of baptisms. And we discussed being baptized into Christ, being placed by the Holy Spirit into Christ himself and then to a body of people. We looked at water baptism, the uh, public declaration that our life as we knew it is over and we're now entering a new life of following Christ. We talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit and experience that opens the door. It's a door experience to the supernatural. We saw uh, the teaching uh, concerning laying on of hands that uh, God wants to impart into us. So therefore, we need to be in a body of people where we're known, where people can lay hands, impart, release, activate gifts into our lives. And we ourselves are authorized by the Lord to lay hands on the sick and to minister to them. And then we saw the doctrine of uh, and the teaching about our resurrection. We saw that uh, uh, the difference between a person being raised from the dead and this teaching of resurrection, the one day when all will be raised from the dead. We shared about the first resurrection and the second resurrection. And this last one we want to do, very, very important teaching on eternal judgment, eternal judgment. So the word judge means to look uh, or to distinguish or to look right through to the source of something, to the motivation behind it, to see clearly through to what lies behind it and to evaluate. And so the Bible talks about a foundational principle called eternal judgment. Now, there are judgments that God does in history. In other words, judgments in the present time. And one of the principles is God's mercy always rejoices over judgment. But God does judge sin. At the cross, he judged sin, but also made way for mercy for those who repent. So there are some ways that God judges and deals with sin now. The most common one is just the principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. You sow sinful actions, sow hate and bitterness, you will reap a harvest of that, the Bible tells us. And not only that, demonic spirits use our violations of the law of God as a doorway through to, uh, to uh, cause destruction in our lives. 
There are some times in history where God has intervened. We can see as we read the Bible, God directly intervened in histories in a number of areas, bringing judgments into the earth. And uh, we see in the New Testament how Ananias and Sapphira, when they sinned, then they were judged right on the spot. They died on the spot in church. So there are some judgments that take place in the course of life. However, the primary way that God operates uh, with us is according to how we respond to his word. Now, we're going to look now at eternal judgment. Eternal judgment is different. Eternal judgment has to do with the judgment that goes and will take place. All of you have an appointment to keep with this. There is no exception. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it says it's appointed unto man once to die. You don't die twice. You don't come back again. Once to die, and then after that, judgment. And so this is a very important truth. Because people don't experience judgment and because justice is often perverted in a nation, people don't have a fear of God nor understand we will all have to give account for our life. Uh, Sometimes when we focus a, a lot on the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, we forget or overlook that there's another side that God is also holy and he's just. And his justice requires that he deal with how we've governed our life and what we've done in our life. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, the Bible says, you are his workmanship, or we are his workmanship, and we are created in Christ Jesus. Notice what we're created for. For what? For what? For good works, which God has prepared when? Before the foundation of the earth. Now, I want you to just note that, because everything we say after this is going to lever off that particular scripture. God created you. He had you in mind before you were even thought of by your family. And he designed you to become, to be born into the earth, whatever situation, circumstance, uh, nation or background, he designed for you to be born into the earth and he set out a destiny for you. He designed and created you with giftings to accomplish something with your life, to accomplish something not trivial, but purposeful, meaningful, that would impact people. He has created you for good works. In other words, you are designed to do things that extend the kingdom of God. So having come to Christ, not by any work we did, but solely on what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, having been made right with God just because we trusted, now we are to spend our life on the earth serving God and accomplishing something with our life. And what we accomplish is different for every person. And these works that we're to accomplish were written by God for you to accomplish. There's something only you can do. There's something every believer in the body of Christ is called to accomplish. It's not done in a Sunday meeting. It's not done in any church meeting. It's primarily done where you live your life. You and I are called to accomplish things for God. You and I are an agent of God in the earth. We are an ambassador for the kingdom. We are a gateway for the life of God to flow and express in the earth. And you and I are mandated by God to do good works, to actually accomplish something with your life. And so the Bible says in Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. Now, accountability for our actions is foundational to the kingdom of God. Accountability for our actions is foundation. I want you to read with me in Romans 14, 14, verse 10, uh, verse 1 and 2. Romans 14 and verse 1 and 2. 
I haven't quite got it right there. <laughs> I'll get it in a moment. Let's have a look. Now, verse 10 through to 12. There we are. Now it says, verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look at the person next to you and criticize them and find fault with them? Why do you despise your brother? Why do you look at other Christians, other believers, and criticize them, despise them, find fault with them? He says, why do you do that? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All. That means everyone. No exceptions. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, every knee, no person's ever lived, shall not fulfill this. Every knee shall bow to me, every tongue confess to God. So each of us shall give account of himself to God. So people may get away with stuff in life. I don't think they really do because they reap what they sow. But eventually, all must give account. So we see it's a principle of the kingdom that no person is exempt. Every one of us are going to give account, not for the person next to us, but for ourselves. Think about that moment. This is an appointment you will keep. There'll be a day when you will keep this appointment and you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what will be on view is how you've run your life. That's a very sobering thought. It's something to cause us to think about our life, not week to week, day to day, but to think of the course of our life and begin to consider how we can be productive with our life because it will come to an end and we'll give account. So you notice there it's the judgment seat of Christ. That word judgment seat is a word in the Greek called bema. It means literally a rostrum. And it was uh, known, people who heard him uh, uh, say this, the, the Romans, would have known what this was referring to. This referred to a rostrum that Caesar stood on and he would give a verdict about someone. And uh, if they were judged uh, to be guilty, they're given a black stone. If they're judged to be innocent, they were given a white stone. But it was a place of judgment where a person's life was assessed and the judgment was final. No appeals. You don't get a lawyer and appeal and have a second go. The judgment is final, absolutely final. And so it's a place of a calling to account. Why don't you have a look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so verse 9 and 10, we therefore make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to God. So this is our goal. We want our life to be pleasing to God. doesn't matter what people think in that sense. It's whether our life pleases God. And so you notice what he says in 4, here's why we endeavor to please God. This is why you live your life to please God, because one day you're going to have to stand before him. Notice what it says there, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So you notice here that everyone is going to appear before, again, same truth, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is a place that believers go. This is where believers are judged. People who have not received Christ are judged differently and in a different place and time. So this is a judgment for believers. Now, here is the, here's the deal. It's according to how you've behaved or conducted your life. What we have done, whether it be good, whether it be bad. So every action in your life has some value, good or bad. And every action in your life will come before the Lord without exception. And uh, you notice here that the purpose of this judgment is reward. What God has in mind is reward. Notice that we may receive. So God's purpose is at this judgment, it's for believers, it's to look at your life, what did you accomplish 
with the life, the opportunities, the giftings, talents, resources you were entrusted to, how did the world benefit because, and how did the kingdom advance because of what you did? And on the basis of what you did that's worthwhile, there is reward, it is acknowledged by God. Now, this is justice. People who pour out their lives in the service of God will receive from God a reward that goes on for eternity. People who waste their life doing their own thing will obviously not receive such a reward. There is a problem in our culture called egalitarianism where everyone wants to be just equal. In eternity, we will not be equal at all. In hell, people not would be equal. There was different degrees of punishment in hell, different degrees of reward in heaven. You have to understand that. And you understand when you understand and hold this in your heart that I've only got a temporary assignment on the earth which is preparing me for eternity, you begin to look at your life differently and operate your life differently because you have an eternal perspective. Notice uh, that, the, uh, that the judgment is to receive something. Now, if you are a believer in Christ, you will not be judged, condemned, and sent to hell. It tells us in uh, John 3 verse 18, He that believes in me shall not be condemned. So if you're a believer, the purpose of this judgment uh, at this particular judgment seat is not to judge whether you go to heaven or not. It's about what you receive in eternity. Uh, in John, uh, again, it tells us John 5:24, He that hears and believes in me, that's Jesus Christ speaking, shall not come into judgment, for he has eternal life. So if you are a believer in Christ, this is not about your salvation. It is nothing about your salvation. It has to do with your service, what you did with the life God gave you. And so the next thing we do is that believers will either experience reward for the life that they lived, or they will suffer loss. Have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, he that plants and he that waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So every person will receive a reward according to what they did. What are you doing with your life to follow the Lord to honor God, and to walk out his destiny for you. That's what is in mind here. It's not the person next to you, it's you and how you live your life. This is what God has in mind. And so the Bible says everyone will be re uh, rewarded according to what they have done. Uh, in other places, in Matthew chapter 16, for example, the last verse, Jesus said, I come and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work. So we are saved without any works, but for eternity, our position, our stewardship in eternity is governed by what you do with your life now. Our life is just a training ground. It's a preparation for eternity. So we keep that in mind. So every uh, so salvation is free, but we walk with the Lord. Now, I want you to have a look down here, and we'll read uh, in verse 11 now. No other foundation can anyone lay which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation in our life is faith in Christ. Now you begin to build. So if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. And notice it's talking about a foundation being laid in your life, and then you're building on that foundation. 
and it describes there are two kinds of materials you can use. Uh, notice what they are, gold, silver, and precious stones, and wood, hay, straw. Now, the, each, each one's work will be made clear or manifest, for the day will reveal it, that's the day the Lord returns, for it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test everyone's work, what sort it is. If the work he has built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So you notice now, the people that he's talking to and writing to are believers. And he's saying that every believer is a builder. You build your life, you build and extend the kingdom of God. And how you build will be examined. What you build like will be examined. And it says that if God examines what you've built and discovers it's wood, hay, and straw, then there is nothing of value taken with you into eternity. There's no reward for what you have labored, but you are saved. The image or picture is like someone who escaped out of a smoking house and it was burning down, but they got free and they've escaped. But they didn't bring anything with them, but they're saved. So they have an eternal life, a wonderful, uh, joyful life in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible also describes that there are rewards for those who have served faithfully. And we need to understand the nature of those things and the uh, seriousness of the issue that's at hand for every one of us. So you notice now that the works that they have done is their service for Christ, how we've lived our life. So eternal judgment is a key foundation in the life of a believer because of this. We understand that one day every aspect of our life will be scrutinized with a view to being rewarded. God is not there to judge us. He's there to reward us. All he's going to do is evaluate whether there's anything worth rewarding. You got the idea? He's not going to condemn us. We've, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we've passed from condemnation to life. That's not the issue anymore. The issue for us will be, have you accomplished anything with your life that God could celebrate and acknowledge and reward for all eternity? That's the issue. Important issue, isn't it? So then that raises the question, if every one of us is a builder, every one of us has come to Christ is building and extending the kingdom of God. We're an agent for the kingdom of God. And uh, we work with people. We impact people. We influence people. We, we run our life and fulfill the course God gives us, which it's our, it's our responsibility to discover that. Then there comes a point when our life will be evaluated and what we've done will be evaluated. Now, you won't be evaluated on whether you were a preacher or not or whether you went to the mission field or anything like that. You'll be evaluated as to whether you fulfill the course God had ordained for you. It's a terrible thing to put a ladder against a building and climb to the top of the ladder and find it's against the wrong building. Not very good. In other words, you were busy, but you actually were busy doing all the wrong things you were never called to do. This is an issue of discovering what God designed me and called me to do and then doing it. Very simple. And so God is not going to approach us with anger. He approaches us with love that we're his children, he's looking, what he's looking for, he's saying, is there something I can find and discover in how you've run your life that I could highlight, reward, and acknowledge for eternity? That's what the, that's what the spirit of this is like. Okay, then, so let's have a look then, what kind of principles would God use to evaluate our life? And uh, because, you know, many of us would think, well, I haven't got many talents and I haven't much had opportunity and so on. So the Bible, fortunately, Jesus in the parables 
of the kingdom explains exactly how evaluation will take place. There's no doubt left if you read the parables Jesus taught. Most of Jesus' teaching was to his disciples, and the issue is the issue of the kingdom and our entrance into the kingdom and then being stewards of kingdom truth and life to others. So in many places, he has recorded exactly the basis. Now, before we leave here, we'll just have a look at the first basis that God will use. Number one is the quality of what you've built, what sort it is. Notice it it says there in verse... uh, See if I can find it there. Here it is, verse 13. Each one's work will be clear, for the day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work, what sort or what quality or character is around what you have done. So, so what God will look for is this. What motivated you in doing what you did? Were you just trying to get ahead, look good, impress people? Or was there genuine love motivating your work? Because you're without love, no matter what you've done, it doesn't, it doesn't count for anything. Prophesying without love is clashing symbol. Giving your life to be burned and not having love is quite a waste of time. So what you'd be looking for is the motivation of the heart. Have I grown in love and am I, what I do, has it been motivated by love? Has it been motivated by obedience? Have I listened to what God wanted me to do or I just went and did what I wanted to do and asked God to bless it? Come on, a lot of people do that. They just do whatever they want to do, ask God to bless it, think they've done a great thing for God. Well, listen, God will evaluate all of these things. What he's interested is your stewardship of his plan for your life. He's already written out the plan. The question is whether you discover it and walk with him in the outworking of it. You notice in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus spoke of a number of people who had worked miracles, cast out demons, done all these kind of things. Yet he said, "I, I didn't know you. You're workers of iniquity. You just basically did your own thing using my name. So the, so the Bible is full of these stories. Now let me. So the first thing in is, what is the motivation behind the, the works we have done? Do we listen and respond to the Lord? And do we depend on him for his strength in helping us day by day? So clearly prayer and listening to God undergird the kinds of things that he calls us to do. Here's another one. Have a look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. So firstly, God looks at the underlying motivation. He looks at what lies under the work, what kind of work it really is. And if it's just selfish, advancing yourself, doing your own thing, feathering your own nest, then it won't last because it's got no kingdom nature in it. The nature of the kingdom is love. Okay, let's have another look in Matthew chapter 25. Now, these are parables of the kingdom. They all come in response to Jesus saying, tell us about your coming. And he told a number of parables. Now, I can't, I don't have the time to go into each one of them in depth. I want to just highlight some things. I encourage you to study them because these are parables that you will one day fulfill in your own life. There is a day coming. So verse 14, the kingdom of heaven. Notice it's about the kingdom. So the issue here in hand is not salvation. The issue is your stewardship of the resources God gave. Uh, So the king of heaven is like a man went to a far country who called his servants, delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to each, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Now you notice now you have a king going to a far country, that's Jesus Christ. The servants of the king are the servants of God, and everyone is given an entrustment. Now notice in this one they have different ability. So one of the principles is our potential. Did you fulfill your potential? One of them had more ability than another, so he was given more talents than the other one was given. One given five, one given two, one given well, each according to their own ability. So here's the thing. 
when making evaluation of your life service, God will uh, take into account your potential. See? So you don't need to look at someone who's highly gifted and say, well, I wish I was like them. Actually, you're you, and God knows your potential. He's given you an entrustment. Just take what you got and put it to work. So he will evaluate on the potential. Now, you notice the one that had five talents. He went away and got another five. So that's a 100% increase. The other one who had two went away and got two talents. He also got a 100% increase. So both of them, although they have different ability and got different results, they both realized their potential. They both did the very best they could with what they had. And the combination to both are identical. The fact one had five and got another five and had more ability, that's not taken into account. What's taken into account is he actually fulfilled his potential. And so the combination to that one there in verse... uh, uh, let's have a look at there. Verse uh, at 19. A long time after, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five came and said, bought the other five, said, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. I've gained another five beside. He said, good, faithful servant. Well done. He gets commended. And he's called good and he's called faithful. Faithful means productive and fulfilling what God has given us. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of the Lord. The one who received two talents came. Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of the Lord. Now notice just a couple of things in there. One, the first thing you notice is they had different ability, but they both fulfilled their potential. Second thing you notice is they both got the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now notice what happens. He said, uh, now notice, this is an eternity now. You were entrusted with things in time. Now I call you to be a ruler over things in eternity. And so what's at stake is our inheritance in the kingdom of God for eternity. And uh, so we see there in that particular story that both of them, received joy and they entered into what it delights God when we fulfill our potential. It delights him when we're productive. He loves it. He said, I'm really joy, really happy about this. But the one who had uh, one talent, he said, oh, you're a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow and gather where you haven't scattered. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. So that is a believer. It's a servant of the Lord who has opportunity, has talent, has gifting, has ability, but refuses to be productive. Why is he refusing to be productive? Number one, wrong concepts of God. He didn't really take the time to find and get to know what God is really like. Secondly, he looked after himself. I was afraid. And so I just looked after myself, making sure that I get by. And, and And what the master says to him is this. He says to him, he said, well, you wicked and lazy servant. The word wicked means this. It means you have a negative influence in the kingdom. You actually demoralize and discourage other people because of your slackness. That's what the word wicked means. It's not mean it's evil. It just means it's a destructive influence or harmful influence or demoralizing influence in the kingdom. And he called him lazy. And he said, you knew that where I reaped, where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, you should have deposited the money in the bank as my coming and I would have received interest. And so he took from him, so for everyone who has more be given, he has abundance. He, he who has not have, be taken away what he has. So cast the unprofitable servant out into outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The principle, first of all, is quality. 
What is the kind of motivation in our work? Principle number two is potential. Now, there's another parable that looks the same, but it is not. It's found in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is the parable. It sounds very much, but there's a vital difference in this parable. In Luke chapter 19, it's the parable of the pounds. And so verse 11, they spoke these things. As they spoke, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God would come immediately. So he said, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive himself a kingdom in return. That's Jesus has gone to heaven, will receive, has received his kingdom and will return. He called a 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 pounds. And he said to them, do business or trade till I come. Now notice here that there are 10 servants, 10 pounds. Everyone gets one each. So all have an equal opportunity. And one of them, with his one pound or one uh, pound, he has ten. He, he produces ten from the one. And another one produces five from the one. And another one doesn't do anything. And like in the first parable, he just buries it and hides it. And so notice what the, the master says. He comes back in verse 15, wanting to find out how much everyone had gained by trading. And he came and said, well, Lord, your pound. Notice he said, your pound, it belongs to you. It's an entrustment. It's earned 10. Whoa. And he says, well done, you good servant. Because you were faithful over little, have authority over 10 cities. The second one came and said, master, your pound has earned five. Whoa. Likewise, the over five cities. Now notice the difference here. They both had an equal start, but one was far more productive than the other. The one who was more productive, greater reward. And you notice the nature of the reward it isn't clear. All we do is has to do with responsibility of governance in the kingdom, and it's in proportion to how productive he was in this life. Think about that. How productive are you? So he was faithful. To be faithful is to be productive. So he had an opportunity in the eternal kingdom was given to each of the two that were productive. The other one lost the opportunity. And so we get down to the last one, uh, and you think, well, man, I didn't get to be a Christian until I was very, very sort of around, I've been around a few years, you know, and wasted a lot of my life, and you feel, man, I've, I've wasted my opportunities, or my circumstances have not enabled me to do what I really wanted to do, and many people find themselves in that, and they feel a lot of grief over that, and let me, this will help you then, uh, and so in Matthew chapter 20, there's another parable, and you know this one, and you probably haven't understood it too clearly, again, I can only give you a little bit of it, so let's look in Matthew 20 verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them to his vineyard. Matthew 20. And then verse 3. When he went out the third hour, he saw some others. And he said, you go out to the vineyard, and whatever's right, I'll give you. And again, he went the sixth and ninth hour. And about the eleventh hour, he found some still standing idle. He said, why are you standing idle here? And they said, no one's hired us. He said, okay, go to the vineyard, and whatever's right, you will receive it. So when the evening had come and the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and bring them their wages beginning from the last to the first. And when those who were hired about the 11th hour, they got one denarii. And then the others came, the first came, they thought I should get more. And what happened was they got the same. So they complained against the landowner. And he said, these last have only worked one hour, but you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and heat of the day. And he answered and said, friend, I'm not doing any wrong. Didn't you agree for one? I'm just giving you what's just. Now, let's just look at the thing. First of all, it's a parable of the kingdom, and it's a parable of laborers being, uh, in, uh, being put into service in the kingdom to be productive. Notice the vineyard, which always speaks of people in the kingdom of God. So it's talking about being productive for the Lord in his kingdom. 
Okay. Notice now that one guy got in at the beginning of the day and they one, one denarii for the whole day. And then through the day, he employed others until finally get the last one. It was a 12-hour day. The last one, the 11th hour, got just got in, got one hour's work. He got rewarded exactly the same. Now, here's the thing. And, of course, it got them a bit upset because that's not fair. But this is God is fair. God is just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so that's what the Bible says. So the issue here is one of opportunity. What kind of opportunity did you have? They were all employed to serve. Some had more opportunity than others. And some had less opportunity. And God took into account in dealing with them how much opportunity they had. So you may have served the Lord all your life. You're saved at 16, served faithfully all your life. And someone else at the age of 40 gets saved. And they look back and think, well, I didn't get a chance. Well, they've come in later on in life. They still get the chance. And they still can be completely productive with the opportunity they have. Or some might come in and they're in the last decade of their life. They can still be completely productive and completely uh, fruitful in the last season of their life. God takes into account these four things. Takes into account, number one, the quality, the nature of what you've done, what motivated what was in it, whether you heard from God and did what he wanted you to do. Two, the potential. Did we fulfill the potential in our life? Did we actually labor and come to the best that we could accomplish with our life? Uh, two, three, productivity. Were, did we actually produce anything? If a person's produced more, they're rewarded more. And opportunity. How much opportunity do we have? This is an amazing thing. Now, all of those, of course, you could study in detail. I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to look at it, read it, and begin to think then and reflect back to your own life. What am I doing with my life while I'm on the earth? Now, many Christians are not established in this truth. Because they're not established in their truth, they just do whatever they want to do. Live their life the way they want to live. Their life is very similar to the world. Their values are very similar to the world. However, what they're doing is losing an opportunity to invest in eternity. They're losing an opportunity in life to actually not only benefit now, but to gain for all eternity. So we'll just finish with the last scripture in Revelations 20. In Revelations chapter 20, There is another judgment called the great white throne judgment. This is an eternal judgment too. So the the judgment seat of Christ comes at the beginning of the thousand years. The great white throne judgment, as far as I see it, comes at the end of the uh, thousand years. It says, notice in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whom the face of the earth and the heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. And the sea gave up their dead that were delivered in them. Death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Now, I want you to see these two statements. Book of life, books. They're two different things. Book of life is a book in heaven, a literal book, where is written the name of every person who's come to trust in Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Their name is written in the book of life. They are born again. The Spirit of God has come into them. They are acknowledged. They belong in the kingdom of God. They're children of the kingdom. Now, notice here it says, verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone, everyone. So, What is crucial, number one crucial thing, is that you and I 
come to Jesus Christ, come to faith in Jesus Christ, come to trust Him as our Savior and as our God, to give our life to Him. Why? Because at that time, your name is written in heaven, your name is written in the book of life, and when the final day of judgment comes, that will be the only base upon which you will judge. Is your name in the book? If your name is in the book, then that judgment's not for you. If your name is not in the book, then you're in deep trouble for eternity. Okay, the next one. You notice here it talks about books. It says the books are opened. And it says everyone is judged according to their works by the things written in the books. Here's something I want you to consider. And we'll just bring this to a close. Remember at the beginning I said in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared works for you to accomplish. So they're written somewhere. God has a scroll written in heaven. And a scroll is different to a normal book. A book has got pages in it. You just open the pages. A scroll, you have to unwind it. And as you walk into and fulfill what God is giving you now, the scroll unwinds, he gives you a bit more. He doesn't give you the whole thing. He's written the whole thing, but he actually gives you opportunity to choose whether you walk with him, obey him, walk and open that scroll and begin to walk out your life and your destiny. Now, you notice that there are books. So every person, every person, there is a book in heaven with your name on it. There must be a room where all the books are kept. Must be a big room. So, right now, you know that there is a scroll or a book that has a destiny in heaven, a God's plan for what you could accomplish with your life on the earth, and there is a record also written of everything you've ever done. If you sinned, then your sins were blotted out of that. No record, it's taken away, it's erased. Your sins, I'll remember no more. But what you have done as a servant of God is recorded. It will play back like a video. And in that video, not only see what you did, you'll see the thinking that was behind it, the motivation that was behind it, the actions that you did, and the effect of your actions on others. It always disturbs me when Christians act and do things without considering how it will affect others. There's a ripple effect when you throw a stone in a pool. Whatever we do affects others. And so a part of the evaluation of our life will be like a video. And I don't know how God does it. It's like a great hologram or a video. And you'll just see your life played out very, very quickly. And you'll become aware of your thoughts of your fears, of your motives, of your intentions, of your feelings, of the actions and the effect they've had on people. You become aware of it in a very short space of time and God will evaluate it completely and what he evaluates will determine what level of reward he will give you for eternity. So this is an amazing, wonderful hope that we have. So the Bible tells us in Titus, Titus, every believer should be careful to ensure they're doing good works. Should we, be care- we should be careful to maintain a life where we're actively doing good. And every one of us needs to take into account that one day we may have full people, we can't fool God. And one day there's an eternity at stake. Can you imagine that great day when you stand before the Lord and all those things that nobody noticed, those sacrifices you made, that secret giving, that praying that you did when your heart was broken, but you stood firm before God. No one saw what you were doing, but you stood firm in the midst of difficulty. Others left you, but you remained firm. You remained steadfast. Things went wrong. It seemed like God had let you down. People hurt you in various ways, but you stood firm with the Lord and you walked out to your death 
destiny. I tell you on that day, you will rejoice. There is a crown for you. There is opportunities for you in eternity. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what you and I should have as a motivation or could have as a motivation in our life. It's not what people say. You have your 15 minutes of fame, it's all over. But there is an eternity And the one person that you want to be saying, Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the joy. I want you to rule over. I want you to extend my kingdom. I want you to be responsible for these things in eternity. What a tremendous hope. What a tremendous joy. So how will it work out in your life? Well, don't copy me. I've got my own scroll to walk out. But neither hinder me in doing it. See, this, this is what you've got to understand, that every person has their own distinct and unique call. Together as a family, we build and encourage and strengthen one another. The giftings of, of ministries are to equip you to do things God called you to do. They're not what I was called to do. They're what you're called to do. And it's our responsibility to discover how God has wired us and what he has gifted and called us to do and wherever that is, however that is, whatever form it takes and then passionately, wholeheartedly just get about doing it. Amen? Father, we just thank you today for the great and mighty truths of the foundational doctrines of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have taught us as we've done this series. Those of you watching on television right now, just looking at maybe you don't know Jesus Christ, but you've really been struck by what I've said. I'd love you just to follow me in a very simple prayer. Just look at the camera or look into the TV or close your eyes and and just, just follow us in this simple prayer. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I confess Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I turn away from all sin. I turn to you, the living God. Jesus, I give you my life today. I declare before heaven and earth, you are my Savior and my Lord and my friend forever. Amen. May the Spirit of God just touch you where you're watching. Minister His love and peace into your life right now. And may your life become productive in serving God. Father, we just thank you for this great church. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you've given us over many years to touch the nations of the earth, to be productive, so productive in so many ways. Father, I pray that from this people, many will rise up, being productive in their homes, their families, their schools, and the community, in business, wherever God you have designed and directed them to serve, let them be incredibly productive incredibly fruitful. Father, I just pray that you'll continue to bless us as a church in every way that we would be fruitful in extending your kingdom. And Lord, we just give you the honor today. It is incredibly sobering to us to know not only do you love us deeply, but that we will also give account for our lives. So Lord, we live our life and choose today to turn to you with a humble heart and ask you to forgive us where we've fallen short and to empower us to hear, see, and do all you've called us to do. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. In a great series, trust you go over the, the scriptures I gave you today, have a good think about them. 
And then we'll be on to some new things next week. We've got Shane with us. It's going to be fantastic having Shane with us. Then we've got Easter. Bring along some friends for Easter. It's going to be a great time at Easter. And uh, we look forward to the gospel being shared in power. Come back tonight. And to get Shane to share again. And also want to pray for people, minister to people, and see God touch lives. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.